We're looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34 this morning. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find this on page 960. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. It's um, a passage which has been a huge encouragement to me uh, all the time that I've been a believer. You know, one of the first... uh, Bible verses I memorized there, uh, Matthew six thirty three, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Um, you know, I'm, I'm naturally a very anxious person. I have, you know, tremendous anxiety inside. People tell me that, you know, they never notice any anxiety and I, I, I don't know why that is. Uh, but, uh, but I find this verse to really help and uh, to, to help calm my heart and help me focus. And uh, so I, 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 I share it partly because it's something that's close to my heart and partly because it's basic Christianity and it's the basic stuff that we all need to hold on to. It's the basics of the Christian life. Just trust the Lord. Yeah, this, one of the, the, the first times I really knew I was excited and interested about missions was when Cindy and I were at a uh, a campus crusade, a crew uh, summer break uh, uh, event down in Florida, evangelistic week uh, during summer break. And there was some guy there who was talking about taking a year off and going and doing missions, and he had been doing all this work in, uh, in the Pacific Islands. And he would get up there and he would talk about how uh, he got up there and he would talk about, uh, you know, all the terrible things. Oh, yeah, so you've got jiggers in your toes and you've got to dig them out with a needle and, and uh, you know, there are little insects that dig in your toes. Or you're going to get malaria and you have to sleep with a mosquito net or you might die. And, uh, and, and his refrain all the way through was just, trust the Lord. Just trust the Lord. You know, it's like basics of the Christian life. And, uh, wow, I thought, this is exciting. Wow, I want to go and do this. <laughs> I don't know what... <laughs> So, but that refrain, just trust the Lord, just making faith in God practical, and that's what this verse does. So may, may that uh, have that effect in our lives, that we would just learn to trust the Lord uh, in whatever calling, in, in whatever comes. So let's read these verses together. Uh, Matthew 6, starting with verse 25 to the end. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear? Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom 
and his righteousness, and all these will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, would you write your words on our hearts? Would you teach us to trust you, to not be anxious about many things, but to focus on you, to walk with you, to glorify you? And would you bless our lives with your presence? In Jesus' name, amen. The main application of this little passage comes out very clearly. It's stated in the same words in verse 25, and again in verse 31, and again in verse 34, do not be anxious. Or if you turn around and put it in the positive, rest securely in God. Do not be anxious. There are three things that Jesus mentions that we're anxious about, and they sort of form the the network that ties together the whole passage. Food, drink, and clothing. And there are two main areas he breaks this down into. If you look at verse 25, uh, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. So there's the two main areas, and they're the three things, food, drink, and clothing. So um, the two areas, the body and, and the life, the life and the body, he addresses those in two sections there in the middle. Um, as, as he talks about the life, he looks how God cares for the lives of birds. And then when he wants to talk about the body and the clothes, he talks about how God clothes grass of the field. Uh, so <clears throat> then he... he uh, concludes with verse 31, repeating the same three things. So do not worry, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, and what will we wear? Uh, So the whole thing kind of ties together that way. Um, He says it at the beginning, and then he says it at the end, and then he drives home his main point in verse 33. What do we do instead of being anxious? Verse 33 tells us, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And all these things will be added as well. So what the passage does is it tells us not to worry. And it gives us reasons not to worry. And I see four big reasons in the passage uh, why we should not worry. But all four wrapped together in one reason. Do not worry because God is generous. Excuse me. So... If I could um, summarize the argument of the passage, I'd put it this way. Uh, Because the Father is generous, the children rest secure. Because the Father is generous, his children are secure and they have nothing to fear and they don't need to be anxious or to seek with great anxiety all the basic things that he provides. So in a passage that, you know, says don't, be anxious, you know, we can start getting anxious about being anxious. Oh no, I was anxious today. And, uh, you know, we can just get carried away with this the way that we do. And so it's wonderful that the last verse of this passage sort of gives a summary. Once again, he repeats the main point, do not be anxious or do not worry. But he 
uh, he, he adds some balance. So let's look first at that concluding summary verse, verse 34. Start there and then go through and look at the arguments uh, why not to be anxious. So first, verse 34 uh, the balance, the realism, the fact that anxiety does have a place in our lives. Uh, verse 34 says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. There is a place for worry. It's called tomorrow. And uh, tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So he's not giving this picture that you're going to go through life and never experience anything to worry about, but he does uh, point out that these things will come and that tomorrow will be the time to worry about them. Not, no, no point in worrying about it today and going through all of that trouble and then maybe it won't happen tomorrow. Uh, if it happens tomorrow, you can worry about it then. Uh, but anxiety is part of a godly life. Godly people experience anxiety. So don't be anxious if you are anxious. Um, so Philippians 2.28, Paul says he's, he's got to send back to Philippi their, their messenger Epaphroditus who has come and has assisted him in the ministry. Uh, he's got to send him back. He's eager to do this because Epaphroditus was sick and Epaphroditus almost died. And Paul says, I want to send him back so you can rejoice when you see him and so that I may have less anxiety. Paul had anxiety. He describes in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. he describes his anxiety for the churches. He says, besides all this, you know, all the things that he goes through, the beatings and everything, Besides all this, there is the daily pressure of my concern for the churches. So Paul experienced this anxiety. And uh, by the way, what was it that Jesus was experiencing there in the Garden of Gethsemane as he prayed and said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup be taken from me, let yet not my will but yours be done. And his sweat was as Great drops of blood falling to the ground. What, what do you call that experience that he was having, if not anxiety? So there's a place for anxiety. Uh, if you experience anxiety, it's okay. Uh, you're in good company. But the danger of anxiety is that it takes us away from where we ought to uh, live our lives. Uh, we can misspend our lives, our, our lives can be misled, our hearts misled, our love and devotion misdirected. The stakes are high. If you look at the verses before this passage, if you look back in, uh, starting with verse uh, 19, the whole, the whole section, Matthew six nineteen through 24, is really connected with the passage that we're looking at. And what it's saying is that there are all the things that our hearts tend to run to because of our anxiety. Anxiety creates temptations. So temptations to store up treasures for ourselves on earth, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. And then verse 22 and 23, the eye is the lamp of the body. Anxiety will cause us to focus 
on things that are worthless and that are evaporating, that are turning to dust before our eyes, and to put our hope in those empty things, and they will disappoint us. If your eye is set on those things, then your eye is set on darkness, and the darkness penetrates your soul, and what a terrible darkness that is. And then verse 24 sums it up. The danger of anxiety is that it will take us off from our true master to another false master. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Love and devotion can be misdirected by anxiety. So the stakes are high. The stakes are high. Let's look at the reasons Jesus gives for uh, not being anxious. So the first is that the Father's generosity is great. Rest secure in his great generosity. Look at the end of verse 25. I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? So the the whole time that I'm worried about my life, I'm worried about food and drink because I might die, I'm taking for granted the fact that I've been given something so much greater, and that is that I've been given life. If God gave you life, don't you think that he knows how to manage food and drink? And if God provided you with this amazing body that is just incomprehensible in its design and the way that things work in it, the the automatic processes that take place for healing and, and things like this, it's just incredible what God has given you and you're worried about some clothes from Kohl's or whatever. Uh, you know, it doesn't make sense. Um, God has given us more. So this is an argument from the greater to the lesser. If God has given you the greater things, a life and a body, then he will give you the lesser things, food, drink, and clothing. Um, God gives us greater things. Let's just pause on that thought because it's suggestive. God gives us greater things, and if God gives us greater things, then we should not be anxious about the smaller things. Now, really, is this life, which will last only a span of hopefully several decades, is this life really all that God has to give? Is a body like this, which will soon be laid to rot somewhere, hopefully it will be laid to rot somewhere and not meet a worse end than that, is this body really the best that God has to offer? No, no. This is the hope of Christianity, that those are just down payments. Those are just small things that God has much greater gifts to give us. And so, uh, behold 
the Apostle John says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. What amazing love. It's something so much bigger than just life in this world. Uh, Jesus talks about uh, a great uh, gift of God's generosity that is coming for all of God's people. In Matthew 24, verse 31, he says that on that day when he comes, he will send his angels to the four winds of the heaven to gather his elect from the four corners of the earth. Wherever you are, God is going to get you and he's going to gather you And he's going to bring you together with his people for an eternal life of joy and blessing. God gathers his elect. And he he knows where they all are. He keeps track of all of them. And he brings them together for something so much greater than this whole life, than all the things that we have here to enjoy. Uh, The passage that that we read this morning together at the beginning of the book of Ephesians, which is just an explosion of celebration about God's gifts and his goodness. It begins, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Every spiritual blessing. God gives great things to his people, not just trifles, but the greatest things that can be imagined. And uh, so this form of argument, if God gives us these great things, won't he give us then these other things? This form of argument comes up in the book of Romans. Would you turn to Romans chapter 8? Just keep your place there in Matthew 6. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. It's a great passage for encouraging faith. And uh, Romans 8, verse 32. It's the same form of argument that God provides the greatest thing and therefore he'll provide the rest. Look what it says. Um, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, Graciously give us all things. God gave even his son for us. What love is this? And what limitation is there on this love that we should be afraid about the circumstances that we encounter in this life? Well, I mean, after all, we we do get nervous. We do get anxious. These things happen. But what wonderful arguments. God is giving us greater things. And so uh, if you just look back in Matthew 6, Jesus continues on. He's telling us not to put lesser things first. So he's saying, um, is not the body, uh, is not life more than food, and is not the body more important than clothes? So what we don't want to do is we don't want to end up being like the choosy beggar. We don't want to put smaller things ahead of the larger things. So we don't want to be the beggar who's sitting by the side of the road and someone comes out of the restaurant and we're begging. And then they find that they've got this nice sandwich that they were going to take home, but they decide that 
our needs are more important, so they offer us the sandwich. And we say, yes, but I have dietary restrictions. Um, and so the person uh, reaches in their wallet and pulls out a $20 bill. Well, could I get some singles and some quarters? Uh, we don't want to be choosy beggars and uh, focus on smaller things. Uh, yeah, it was a great job that, that they offered me. I really liked the work and the pay and everything, but they were only going to pay me every two weeks. I want to be paid at the end of every week. So I told them no. Uh, let's, let's, uh, we we want to be people, you know, believers who focus on the big things that God is giving us and not get carried away or distracted by the smaller things. Will you really turn your back on God to live for money? Did money give you life? Did money create your body? Does money buy you love? Will money gather you up on the last day and give you an eternal inheritance? Does money cleanse you and make you a new person? Now, when when uh, I started seminary studies in, in uh, Chicago in 1996, my wife and I, we had maybe money for a semester or two. We didn't know how it was going to work out. And we had kind of a long road ahead of us still to finish up my seminary degree. Um, but a friend encouraged me that they've seen it before. God provides. You just step out and you trust him, and you won't even know how he did it. And, you know, I held on to that in encouragement. And that was my hope, was that God was just going to provide for us somehow as we, as we went through seminary and had these huge bills coming every semester. And, uh, you know, we, I don't really know how God did it. I know a lot of it had to do with my wife working full time. And, uh, and my kids living in a two-bedroom apartment on campus. They're three kids, you know, boy, girl, boy. And, you know, they, they all shared one bedroom. Uh, that was a lot of it. But, but really, where the money came from, it, 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 I just have to say God provides. And uh, don't let money stop you from generosity, from service, from commitment to your family, and from caring for your mate. You know, money is the thing that couples fight about. There's such greater, bigger things that you've been given in your marriage and in your family and in your life. Don't let money tear those great things apart. So, uh, Rest secure in God's great generosity. God's generosity is great, so we should rest secure. And then rest secure in God's careful generosity. God is, is generous in big things, and God is generous in caring for a myriad of little things so we can rest secure, we can trust him. And here Jesus, in verse 26, begins to speak about the birds Birds in the parables of Jesus and in the, in the Proverbs and things, they're the small, dim-witted, insignificant creatures. And uh, so here they are, the birds, always busy, always busy gathering their food, always working very hard, but they make no plans. So here's what Jesus says. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, 
and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So it's another argument from greater to lesser. God's care for massive quantities of detail. He cares for the lives of birds. Uh, Is he not able to care for the trifling few details of your life? Uh, God must have much bigger things to concern himself with. That's what what I hear. That's what we tell ourselves. God has bigger problems. God has bigger issues to attend to. He can't attend to my issues. But Jesus teaches the opposite. He attends to birds, and he will attend to you. Um, Look at verse 27. It's another argument about how God cares for details. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? So uh, we we can try to care for details ourselves. We can try to obsess and uh, manage all the details, but we can't. We can't even add an hour to our lives. Look how life is given to us. It's given to us in hundreds and thousands and millions. I don't know, is it millions? Hundreds of thousands of hours, hours, countless hours, and you can't add one to your life All the days of my life were written in your book before one of them came to be. Psalm 139, 16. God gives us hours, many, many hours. Life is made up of these small things, too many for us to manage. And uh, if you want to think about details, the details of our lives that God manages, just consider it. Our lives depend on microscopic things. You know, most of uh, safety has to do with microscopic things, you know, uh, the little tiny things that might be in what we eat that you couldn't even see if you looked. Um, so the, or, or the things that are happening inside of a mosquito. How many days has it been since that mosquito bit someone who had a disease? Has it been the right number of days so that that mosquito is now able to transmit the disease? Little microscopic things that take place in a burrito or on a finger or in the air or, or water or on a pen that you take up in your hand or a handrail. If you obsess about the details, you'll become like that uh, TV detective, Monk. You know, he's... He lost his job as a detective because he was so focused on cleanliness and bacteria and all these obsessions. Uh, So he still ends up solving crimes with the help of his friends because his his obsessions make him focus on details. So it all comes out well in the end. But little microscopic things happen in your gut. They happen in your organs. They happen in your cells. They happen in the molecules inside your cells. Do you know cancer starts with some molecules going awry and changing in a way that they weren't supposed to. And then the other molecules that were supposed to go and make those molecules go away don't do their job because something... And then more molecules go awry inside of one cell. Some things go wrong. And then that one cell becomes cancer. And that one cell begins to multiply and spread. And, and, and I die of cancer. Because of tiny things smaller than what a microscope can see. The details. You know, all of us have cancer cells. 
and, uh, and our bodies take care of them. So how can I manage the details in life? They're, they're mind-boggling, but God manages them. And so, uh, you know what we do? We obsess and we try vitamins, we try health food, we try to manage things. You know, action is good, it's good to exercise, it's good to eat right and uh, try to uh, take steps. Anxiety is not good and helpful, but action is good. But uh, we need to maintain a balance and not let our hearts go astray, not become consumed with the pursuit of health. Uh, if your pursuit of health is taking you over the edge, um, how can you tell? If your pursuit of a healthy lifestyle or a healthy diet or healthy exercise is becoming an idolatrous pursuit, how do you recognize that? Um, are you still able to trust God for your life? Are you able to just say, my life is in God's hands? Are you able to take risks? And uh, are you able to square your focus on, you know, your vegan, um, uh, gluten-free, uh, whatever food-restricted diet and, and your exercise regime that you're, that you're spending these hours a day? Are you able to square that? with Jesus saying that he who finds his life in this world will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Do those fit together? Just some tests, just some challenges for us, just a a reality check. Um, Are we making health too much of a focus? By our anxiety, we can't add even an hour to our life. God tends to the little things. God tends to the great things. He tends to little things. His generosity is great. His generosity is even detailed. And then, as Jesus turns to the plants, we discover that God's generosity is lavish. We can rest secure. God's children can rest secure in his lavish generosity. Look at verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. They do nothing. Plants do no work. They are utterly worthless. They have their to-do list. Nothing gets done. Except what? They grow. They work on their suntan. That's it. Plants do nothing. And, uh, and, and look how worthless they are, verse 30. They pass away in a short time. They're growing today. Tomorrow they're thrown in the fire. They're just for the moment. Plants, they're so worthless. Um, so see how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Do you see the lavish riches of God's generosity poured out on those who are completely unworthy. 
Plants do nothing to deserve uh, this rich generosity that God gives to them. So how much more will he clothe you? You're worth so much more than a blade of grass. You're such a more significant part of God's creation than the blades of grass. Will God not take care of you? Um, And uh, do you notice those last words that he says in verse 30? There's a little stinger on there. Will he not much more clothe you? You're worth so much, O you of little faith. He might as well say, O you who are worthless. Because what are we for if not to glorify God by trusting him? God made the man and the woman in the garden. He put them there, gave them his, his whole creation, put it in their hands, gave them his commands and promises, and they were to trust him, and they didn't. Um, so this is, this is hinting at the gospel. The utterly unworthy receiving the incomparable riches of God's grace. Hear these words from the book of Ephesians chapter 2. It talks about, in Ephesians 2, how we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead, doing nothing of value. Lifeless and utterly worthless. And it says that, He made us alive in Christ even when we were dead. And he raised us up with Christ in order. Why does God show generosity? In order that in the coming ages, this is Ephesians 2 verse 7, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. If all you want from God is food, drink, clothing for this short life than work. But if you want God to accept you, to fix his love on you, to give you his great generosity, then come like a useless blade of grass. Come like a dead person. Weep over your lack of faith. And in Jesus Christ, he will lavish all riches on you. People's favorite Bible verse is uh, God helps those who help themselves. It's actually not in the Bible. It became best known from uh, Benjamin Franklin's uh, Poor Richard's Almanac. Um, but Jesus' teaching is very different from that. Um, here in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, which we're reading, in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, he says um, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God blesses those who are unworthy. Uh, uh, And then Matthew 7, 7. uh, Seek, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God is lavish in his generosity. So, 
Uh, God's generosity is great, we can rest secure. God's generosity is detailed, we can rest secure. God's generosity is lavish, we can rest secure. And lastly, God's generosity is reliable. Rest secure in God's reliable generosity. Look at verse 31. He says, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So there's the, the frantic pursuit, the, the untaught, the Gentiles who are not taught the, the ways of God. They're uh, pursuing after all of these things. And what Jesus says is, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So Jesus claimed this unprecedented intimacy with God. He offered the unprecedented intimacy with God to his followers. God as Father. In the Old Testament, God as Father was just an illustration that was used in a few places. In the New Testament, it becomes the key idea for understanding God. Not just a metaphor for creator, but he is the personal giver of life who is personally related to his people, he gives them his life through his Holy Spirit sent through his Son. So God brings us into his family, not just by adoption, but by new life. Uh, We're united with Christ and we we become part of him somehow. This is a great mystery. Angels don't experience this privilege. They're created and there they are. But somehow we're made one with Christ. What, What an amazing privilege we have. Um, your Father knows that you need them all. Your Father knows that you need them all. You can rely on God's, uh, God's real, uh, generosity because He knows the details of your needs. He knows what you need. He shares the great things with you. He shares the little things with you. He lavishes His love on us but he is also personally attentive to us. He never forgets us. Our needs touch God's heart. And if he delays in meeting your need at any time, you can be sure that his attention is upon you at that time more than at any other. God cares for us as a father. So times of trouble come, but Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the last verse of the Gospel of Matthew. The giver is greater than his gifts. So all the things that we look for in life are just the gifts of God, but he gives us himself. Yeah, so theology is better and more practical and more helpful than food and drink and clothing. You can be deprived of all those things and, and prize God and his presence and his promises far more. Uh, or you can have all those things and be empty if you lack uh, God's promises. So... Um, uh, we, I, I have a group of people that we, we had been meeting for, for a few months, uh, reading a book on missions, and then we listened to a couple of John Piper's 
biographies. A couple of them are, are missionary biographies. So we listen to the story of uh, John G. Patton. So he was, uh, he was a guy who really experienced this, uh, this concept, and he wrote about it in his autobiography, this concept that the presence of, of God, the presence of Jesus is more valuable than anything in this world. So uh, in 1958, uh, John Patton went to the New Hebrides, they called it at the time, they call it Vanuatu now, some islands in the Pacific. And uh, uh, Patton worked for four years as a pioneer sharing the gospel with these uh, cannibals. So his life was threatened over and over again. And finally he decided he was, you know, it was, it was really time to leave the island. I mean, how many times had his life been threatened and he thought he was dead? But he finally decides, no, 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 I've got to leave now. And there's a ship on the other side of the island. He's got to get over there. And so he's, he's making good his, his escape and he's being chased by a mob of people who want to kill him. And so he, he comes to one village and the village is surrounded by this mob. And the villagers, they were not very reliable friends, but they told him, you go hide in this tree and we'll keep them away from you. So here's what, what Patton writes. And it just reveals the, the preciousness of God's generosity uh, versus all those other things. Being entirely at the mercy of such doubtful and vacillating friends, I, though perplexed, felt it best to obey. I climbed into the tree and was left there alone in the bush. The hours I spent there live all before me as if it were but yesterday. I heard the frequent discharging of muskets and the yells of the savages. Yet I sat there among the branches as safe as in the arms of Jesus. Never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly in my soul than when the moonlight flickered among those chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow. As I told all my heart to Jesus... Alone, yet not alone. If it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree to feel again my Savior's spiritual presence, to enjoy his consoling fellowship. If thus thrown back upon your own soul alone, all alone in the midnight in the bush, in the very embrace of death itself, have you a friend that will not fail you then. So Patton wrote to urge God's people to put God's kingdom first. His, his heart was on missions, and especially missions to the, uh, to the unreached in the Pacific Islands. But putting God's kingdom first is also Jesus' point in this passage. Verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Peace, rest, and security have a purpose. Comfort and joy in Christ have a value beyond themselves. They call us closer to God, and they call us to testify of his generosity and of his goodness. They call us to serve, And they call us to suffer gladly and to testify through joy and sufferings because Jesus is worth it. We see here that all the gifts are in God's hands alone. The great gifts given with minute care 
and lavish love in perfect faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you care, that you provide, that you guide, that you work in the hearts of your children, your loved ones. Would you strengthen us to follow you in faith, in Jesus' name, amen.